Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, December 16. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smathurst. And Annika, do you remember uh, when we were much younger, the story about David Boone, Australia's opening test batsman, drinking 52 VB tinnies on a flight to London? I do. It was almost held in the same sort of regard as his cricket abilities, (laughs) but I don't think that's something that would happen today somehow. No, it seems like Australia's love affair with booze is changing. We're going to find out how in just a moment. Now the social pressure has swung to the other direction, and if someone is drinking to excess in a social and public context, that's more derided, more frowned upon these days. I wonder if David Boone will be listening that story in just a moment. First, let's get into the big news of the day. Convicted drug trafficker Tony Mockbell has had one of his convictions overturned because of the Lawyer X scandal. Yeah, you might remember Mockbell as one of the key characters from Underbelly. He successfully quashed, in, in the real world this is, he's successfully quashed one conviction for cocaine importation And that's because he was represented by Nicola Gobbo, who was acting as a police informant at the same time she was working as his lawyer. It's the third conviction overturned due to the Lawyer X scandal. The other two men were released from prison, but Mockbell is still serving a 30-year sentence for other drug trafficking charges. Patrick Carline is one of the Herald Sun journalists who broke the Lawyer X story back in 2014. He's told the ABC there's a good chance Mockbell could walk free from jail. Tony Mockbell has been pushing hard since this all came to light back in 2014. Finer legal minds than mine think that he will get out at some point, uh, that it is almost inevitable because she was so tangled in the convictions against him at that time. What a mess. This scandal just keeps on going, doesn't it? It's incredible. And it was a great briefing topic, one of my favourite for the year that really explains how they got in this mess. Mm. And Aussie actor Craig McLaughlin has been cleared of 13 charges of indecent and common assault. We've maintained a dignified and respectful silence for the past almost three years and put our trust in the law. And here we are today. He was found not guilty of assaulting four women during the Rocky Horror Show theatre production in Melbourne in 2014. Although the magistrate described the complainants as brave and honest witnesses, She said the evidence did not meet the high criminal standards required to prove the charges. McLaughlin has always denied any wrongdoing. Smiling outside the courthouse with his partner, McLaughlin told reporters he'll have more to say about this in the new year. But for now, Christmas is upon us. Go and enjoy Christmas with your families. We're going to this year. Stay safe, be kind to each other. We'll see you in the new year. And... uh, I think she's going to give me a smooch. I am. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so that's a very interesting result in one of Australia's most high-profile Me Too-style cases. Two big remaining questions, I think, Annika, around Craig McLaughlin is what will come of the defamation cases he still has running against the ABC, the Herald and The Age? And will he start getting work again as an actor after the three years it's taken to fight these allegations? One of Australia's most senior Special Forces soldiers has reportedly stood down over a photo purporting to show him drinking beer from a prosthetic leg of an Afghanistan Taliban fighter who was killed in battle. Yeah, the news comes two weeks after the pixelated photos surfaced. Uh, The leg was kept in an unofficial bar inside an Australian military base even though keeping war trophies is illegal. The Defence Force has yet to respond to news he has stood down. Last month, the Broughton Report found credible information that Australian soldiers murdered 39 Afghanistan civilians and prisoners. 
And Joe Biden says democracy has prevailed after the Electoral College confirmed his election win. The flame of democracy was lit in this nation a long time ago. And we now know nothing, not even a pandemic or an abuse of power, can extinguish that flame. And the president-elect, who's been pretty restrained about all the Trump lawsuits, was scathing once those votes were cast. It is my sincere hope we never again see anyone subjected to the kind of threats and abuse we saw in this election. It's simply unconscionable. Since then, one of the country's most senior Republicans, Senate Leader Mitch McConnell, recognised Biden's win for the first time. Many millions of us had hoped the presidential election would yield a different result. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. I also want to congratulate the Vice President-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. So that's a key moment, the Republican Senate leader conceding. Um, We've had the legal challenges failing from the Trump team, the Electoral College voting. It is pretty much all over now for Donald Trump. Um, It's almost a month till inauguration day where he'll have to leave the White House. I guess really now, Annika, all that's left is for him to concede, but he's not doing that. Did you see his Twitter feed after the Electoral College announcement yesterday? Yeah, it was a little bit unhinged. Look, I reckon this is all part of his shtick, right? Once you leave the White House as president, you can make a lot of money on the speaking tour. He still has a lot of fans out there. Millions and millions of people voted for him. So I think keeping up this idea that he never lost and he was robbed will actually help him in that post-presidential life. Yeah, and potentially in a bid for 2024 if he does really <laughs> go down that path. Um, the tweets were just nonstop voting conspiracy theories uh, yesterday, uh, and almost every tweet was tagged by Twitter saying this claim about election fraud is disputed or multiple sources call this election differently. It's a pretty messy feed. Speaking of messy, uh, let's talk about our love affair with alcohol. Now, when you imagine the classic Aussie summer, do you imagine loads of booze, like beers around the barbecue at the cricket, loads of wine around the Christmas table, champagne at New Year's? These are pretty stereotypical images and certainly indicative of some of my summers in the past. (laughs) But the reality is our relationship with alcohol is actually changing. Basically, we're slowly drinking less, which is a good thing. So in this briefing topic, we're going to find out why. Yeah, on average, Australians are now drinking less than any time in the last 50 years, and that's been driven by young people. In the mid-70s, Australians were drinking an average of 13 litres of pure alcohol per year. That's now down to 9.5 litres, so that's a 25% drop. But that's still the equivalent of 220 beers a year. So that's why the WHO has pointed out that we're still amongst the heaviest drinkers in the world. Someone who's watching this relationship from a very safe distance is comedian Sean McAuliffe. You might have seen him on the ABC's Mad as Hell. Now, Sean stopped drinking in his 20s, and then as his kids got closer to drinking age, he did a documentary series called On the Source. The main question is, do we drink too much? Well, obviously, if you've burned yourself to death, you should definitely cut back a little. But what about that grey area in between the first glass and self-immolation? Sean, thanks for joining us. Why did you stop drinking? Uh, well, I, I just I wasn't particularly good at it. <laughs> um, I, I, by the standards of my similarly aged friends, um, they seem to be able to cope with it a bit better than me. But I was I was the uh, proverbial two pot screamer, so it wouldn't really take me too many glasses of beer before I was 
you know, charming and uh, urbane in my head. So um, it got to the point where I thought, well, I'm just, I feel like I'm wasting my time, so I'll just give up. So it was kind of easy. It was very easy for me, and I must say rather uncharitably later on in life, I just assumed it would be as easy for anybody else at any given age <laughs> to give up in the same way. But um, I learned that that's not the case. I learned that there's a whole bunch of things that happen as you get older and and more experienced and uh, drinking becomes more commonplace that make it very hard to unravel later on. So given you weren't drinking in your, your 20s and 30s when a lot of your peers were, was Australia's relationship with booze fairly ugly to watch for you? You know, there's not much to offer somebody who's sitting there with a sober eye, you know, at a party where everyone's being drunk. And, that, and I must say, university in my 20s, that seemed to be the main thing you would do on a Friday and Saturday night would be um, to obliterate yourself. And you did an amazing three-part series earlier this year that covered Australia's changing relationship with alcohol. We are drinking less, but what did you discover on that journey? Did that ease any, any of your concerns about our relationship with alcohol? Well, the motivation behind the, the documentary series was actually that I had children who were approaching uh, drinking age. And I thought, well, you know, I, I have really no advice to offer them. So I kind of made the documentary so they could watch it and be better advised and I could possibly advise them. What I did learn was that it is such a complicated uh, mess. And what was kind of interesting was sort of tracing back why we feel the need to absent ourselves from responsibility and, uh, and you know, why we choose to go out socially and maybe see six things about a person rather than the 106 things there are about them because, you know, we've slightly rendered ourselves a bit insensible. The social utility or the social lubricant, the effect of alcohol in that way, why is that a thing that's a, that's developed? One of the things that struck me about your documentary was, um, I guess, the drinking habits of some older Australians versus younger Australians. But a lot of older Australians continue to drink excessively. Was that something that worried you through this documentary? I spoke to one person, for example, who had uh, just recently uh, recovered from breast cancer and uh, drinking gives you a very, very high risk of contracting breast cancer, cancer anyway, but uh, breast cancer particularly. She admitted to me off camera that she was consuming uh, as many as six uh, full strength beers a day. Actually, on camera, she admitted to six. Off camera, she admitted to to nine, I think it was. Wow! So there was a, there was a sense there was a sense that she had to clean up her act a little bit slightly for the camera, and that seemed to be a common thing. Is that, that people kind of know that it's that it's not going to sound good, or maybe they don't want to be judged, or maybe they just kind of know it's bad for them, but they don't want to admit it. But uh, despite the risk, despite the fact that this uh, woman had already been through um, a pretty near miss with breast cancer, it didn't alter her attitude. And really, she said to me. It doesn't matter anymore. She was she was only 73, but she said, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, this is what I want to do. And I think she was quite prepared just to see out her years doing whatever she wanted, regardless of the consequences. Sean, great to speak to you. And I think it was really informative for a lot of people. And if they just maybe, you know, think twice about that ninth drink her day. <laughs> just just look, just thinking once is enough, you know, like you know, let the, uh, don't think twice about it, just once will do. <laughs> Not asking too much. No. That was Sean McAuliffe. Now, last week, Annika, we got new health guidelines on drinking. Yeah, the National Health and Medical Research Council now recommends Australians should have no more than 10 alcoholic drinks a week. 
So that's not even two a day. Now, it's the first update to the guidelines in 11 years. And the last advice we had was in 2009. That recommended that we should have no more than two standard drinks a day. So that's 14 drinks a week and never more than four drinks on any one occasion. Yes. So tightening up those guidelines a little bit. Uh, Let's get deeper into the social research on alcohol consumption. It's really a fascinating trend, really. I think for all the warnings we had about alcohol, we or a lot of us assume we were drinking more, but we, we are drinking less, as we've heard. Mark McCrindle from McCrindle Research is with us. Mark, what's the research telling us about alcohol consumption? Well, it's changed a lot, particularly with young people, where we are seeing large proportions of them moving away from alcohol totally. In fact, if you look at 18 to 24-year-olds, one in five don't drink alcohol at all. They abstain, and that's not considered weird or boring anymore. That's a mainstream trend, uh, and it's part of the overall wellness trend that we see young people embracing. Okay, so young people are abstaining more. What about the amount of alcohol we're drinking? And is it a different story for men versus women? It is slightly. Uh, The overall amount that we're drinking is also declining. Uh, Since 2007, we've seen the number of people that are drinking, the, the proportion of people binge drinking or drinking beyond the healthy limits is down. The total alcohol consumption is down. You know, and there are a few reasons behind that. We've got uh, stricter legal controls, better ID checking, uh, responsible service of alcohol training, uh, limits around where alcohol can be purchased, and really strict limits, particularly with young people on their P's with zero uh, limits on, on their license for, for blood alcohol. So so all of that has, has constrained alcohol consumption and has led us uh, towards this trend. It's also about what we're drinking, right? Because that affects how much alcohol we're taking in. And we've seen a big move from beer to wine. Exactly. You know, and people are more health conscious these days. And uh, and so as part of this well-being trend, we're seeing people move away from carbs or at least be very aware of that. We've seen the rise of alternates to alcohol, such as kombucha and other fermented drinks. And uh, so it is giving people a lot more options around their drinking. And uh, and certainly, you know, the health is one of those concerns. Is it partly because we're changing the way we, we socialize that, you know, getting drunk together was a bigger part of, of the way that we interacted? And is that coming about because of changing habits with social media and different ways that we engage socially? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's uh, there was a social desirability around getting drunk, around being part of the party and getting into it. That's where the social pressure was. Now the social pressure has swung to the other direction. And if someone is drinking to excess in a social and public context, that's more derided, more frowned upon these days. Just sounds like we're being better behaved. We're not wanting to embarrass ourselves as much. Um, you mentioned before that there are healthier attitudes as well. What What's going on there, Mark? What do you think are the deeper drivers of, of that those changing attitudes? Well, Australians have listened to those health messages. You know, Australians are more sophisticated in terms of label reading, in terms of being aware of calories or or just their nutrition, their intake. We've seen generally Australians move towards more active lifestyles. And uh, people like, yes, are thinking, look, if I'm spending all this effort and money going to the gym or or hitting the roads on walking or running, uh, I probably don't want to blow that out by having more drinks than I really need. Mark, we're going into Christmas and recently the guidelines around how much we should drink have changed. So what is currently the safe amount to drink? What What's the latest advice? 
when it comes to young people, uh, we've got the number of 18 to 24-year-olds that are drinking at unsafe levels declining. Only 41% now, the minority, um, say that they have drunk or do drink to unsafe levels, uh, which is uh, more than four drinks on a single occasion. I guess what you would start to call is, is binge drinking. So we're seeing, we're seeing cutbacks in that, and Australians generally play it safer when it comes to alcohol. When I was growing up, it was perceived as perhaps okay for teenagers to have maybe one or two drinks, maybe with their parents if they went out. Now, we're seeing that change. Why is it more risky for young people to drink? Well, because young people we know, even up to 24, are still going through brain development. Uh, the research shows that the later people begin drinking, the better off they are. You know, we used to have this idea that uh, you can socialize children towards drinking, you know, as they're moving into their teenage years, as they do in the Mediterranean countries, they have a little, little sip or water down some alcohol so that they can learn to drink responsibly. The research now is saying actually the opposite. The later young people are exposed to alcohol, the better off they will be. The good news in Australia is the average age of exposure to alcohol for the first time is now over 16 which is two years up on what it was just a decade ago. And Mark, with the pandemic this year, there were fears that it was going to, you know, lockdown in particular was going to turn us all into alcoholics. What's been the reality? Well, it hasn't been that case. Um, yes, you know, some people were ordering the Uber and, uh, and getting some alcohol along with that, um, you know, just continuing on a bit of that lifestyle, but not not drinking um, to, quote, drown their sorrows or to uh, to sort of self-medicate because of, uh, mental health issues. We didn't see that trend, which was definitely uh, a worry that people had as we thought that the isolation and the uncertainty, the anxiety uh, would drive people to, to consume more alcohol alone. Um, it didn't eventuate and it seems that Australians looked after their health uh, rather than let it all go during this pandemic. That was Mark McCrindle. What do you make of our changing relationship with alcohol, Annika? It's hard to tell when you're in it because you're changing age groups. I don't know how I would be as a teenager, but I know growing up there was a lot of pressure to drink. And in my early 20s at university, a lot of us did drink and did drink heavily. I think I drink less now, but I also drink with food. My tastes have changed. What about you, Tom? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting point that your tastes have changed and you drink with food because that represents a bigger trend of drinking more wine than beer. Um, for me, I've got a a funny backstory with it. Growing up a pretty hardcore Christian, I didn't drink till I was about 22, 23. So I always found it super weird how alcohol was part of everything in Aussie culture. But then I grew to really like it later on. But I, I think I've never been a huge drinker because I didn't start off really laying into it in my teens. And that could also represent a broader trend because young people are drinking less now. And if those habits continue as they move through their life stages, like you talked about just a moment ago, then this trend of declining alcohol consumption could continue quite a bit into the coming decades. Yeah, I think one thing we're always going to struggle with is our culture. I spent a bit of time during school living in France and they drank at lunchtime, all my colleagues in my class, my schoolmates, but they didn't seem to have the same sort of negative attitude about getting drunk as we do. So while we're heading in the right direction, I think there really is a mindset change that we have to have. All right, Annika, that is it for today's episode. And that is your last regular episode of The Briefing for the year. Thank you so much for being part of the show. 
No worries. Enjoy the sleep-ins. You'll get there. A few more days, Tom. <laughs> yes, and of course, uh, you'll be part of a summer mode series that we'll tell you more about in the coming days. We're not going to leave you high and dry over summer. Tomorrow on The Briefing, Jan Fran will be back and we're going to speak to a former white supremacist. A Podcast One production.